The book of Psalms is big on the instruments of worship. It doesn't just assume that we all know from strings to percussion to keyboard to voices. It is very attuned with how worship happens. And so thank you all of you and some of you sitting in the pews that wasn't your turn this weekend, but uh, this is a fairly big band that comes week by week. They have different opportunities to sing and So thank you for leading us in worship. Our psalm for preaching is Psalm 32. Uh, It will be up on the board. I want to say a couple of technical things about it because there are are a couple of add-ons, Hebrewisms, we might say. One is the type of psalm that it is. If you read your Bible very much or read psalms very much, you realize it will usually tell you if there's an author to it a psalm of David, or a psalm of Moses, there's one of those in there, or it'll say nothing, as if they don't know. The book of Psalms is 150 psalms, but did you know that when they uncovered um, the archaeological dig in Israel, uh, they came up with one more, there's 151st psalm, and I don't know what the the keepers of the Bible will do with that, whether they'll do anything at all with it or not. But nevertheless, there are 150 of them. This particular psalm is called a maskil. M-A-S-K-I-L, it's Hebrew, a maskil. And it has a particular meaning. It's a type of psalm. And this is about wisdom. This psalm is, is couched in the idea of wisdom. What can we learn and apply in life. Wise, wisdom, enlightened, all three of those terms are used to define the masculine. There's a second little item that goes along in the reading, and we'll see it as we read. There are directions, maybe to the musicians, maybe to the drama. You know, like in a play, there are usually uh, directions given about a play that you don't read out loud, but they are part of how the thing is put together. And this is the word, anybody know it? Selah. I've seen that a hundred years, selah. And it's a particular word of advice to those that are reading or acting this out or singing it. And it's a pause. It's like a musical pause. And it also means stop and listen. How simple is that? Okay, here we go. Psalm 32 a David maskil. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. Stop and listen. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Stop and listen. 
Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you at a time of distress. The rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place. Remember Corey Ten Boom? She called her story of hiding uh, from the Nazis, called that the hiding place. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. Stop and listen. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. All of us live under the shadow of our culpability masked by our denial of the true state of things. We live in an illusion about what we've done. I am a second child. I know what this is about. This is hiding that which I've done from my mother and my father and my grandparents and my brothers, pretending like it didn't really happen when it did. We live in an illusion about what we've done. Maturity is the process by which we We drop these illusions. We mature. We finally grow up, someone would say. And we move toward a more realistic view of ourselves. And no illusion is more persistent than our illusion of innocence. Our feigned illusion of innocence is what derails our attempts to find home and community. It keeps us from those really glad tidings, those places where we might gather and and enjoy the community. Those of us who live this side of Eden must suffer our claims, surrender our claims to innocence so we can find our true home among the community of the lost and broken, where reconciliation might finally be found. Before St. Augustine was a saint, before he reached sainthood, he was a mess. He was a terrible mess living in North Africa. He had this rampant sexual immaturity about him. He, he was promiscuous, we would say. He was a young man growing up in North Africa, and he did the best that he could, and he was awful at it. He had a sexual history that the author, William Styron, might describe as a headlong rush toward carnal oblivion. Uh, First time I ever heard that in Sophie's Choice, I just took note of it. Wow, what a powerful description. And that could be applied to St. Augustine. St. Augustine was uh, agonizing over his remorse over these wasted years, scarred by his guilt. He carried a tremendous amount of guilt in his heart. And as he struggled with these things, and he longed to know himself as truthfully as possible. He reported this. Here's a line from his writings, his confessions. I was admonished to return to my own self. 
What a great, honest line that one person could say about himself. Some wise soul, perhaps his spiritual guide, Ambrose, directed him to look deep within himself so that he could see himself as completely as he could. I read a while back that Augustine had taken this psalm, Psalm 32, and had it inscribed and placed above his bed in his place where he slept so that when he would roll over and he would wake up, he could look up and he could let those thoughts in Psalm 32 be the first thoughts of his day. It was an opportunity for him to shape the the day itself. Here's how it begins. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Richard Rohr, I don't know if Richard Rohr is someone that you read. He does a daily thing. He's a native Kansan and he's become well-known Franciscan writer on spirituality and formation. Look him up, R-O-H-R. You will will think it's wonderful. He says, ultimately, there is no knowledge of self that doesn't lead to a knowledge of God. There's no knowledge about you that doesn't lead you at some point to a knowledge about God. Likewise, there is no knowledge of God that doesn't lead to a knowledge of self. More than likely, Rohr had been reading Thomas Merton, who said this, I will, If I find him, I will find myself. And if I find my true self, I will find him, speaking of God. When Augustine said this line, I was admonished to return to my own self, maybe what he was suggesting is that God is actually closer to us than we can ever imagine. God is closer to us than we can know even about our own self, that God is already there. He was suggesting that God is closer to me than even I am to myself. Psalm 32 is a part of a traditional listing of what what are called penitent psalms. Coming to the place where you have something to confess with God, something to clear the books in terms of how you relate to God. It's known to be a a listing uh, of seven of these traditional penitent psalms. It's a psalm also of thanksgiving because the penitence leads to the idea of forgiveness. And forgiveness leads us to the place of joy in our heart. It's offered by individuals after the forgiveness of sin and the experience of healing, what it's finally like to be healed. I talked with a church member a few weeks ago about this carrying a load of shame and guilt, and I think a lot of us do that. We carry it around as if it's just a part of our daily burden. What I like is... Walter Brueggemann's study of the Psalms, the way Brueggemann takes the Psalms, he may be the the foremost Old Testament professor or writer or researcher in the country, maybe in the world, Walter Brueggemann, and he constructed a three-part pattern of how God works in the world using the Psalms. The first is called orientation. These are the types of Psalms that take great joy in thinking about the creation about how the world has been brought into being and knitted together and the way in which there's great joy about that. 
the Psalms themselves sing the songs of creation and of God's glory and God's power in making the world. These orientation psalms speak grandly about God's world and of the wonder of making human beings, male and female. The psalm focuses in on the joy of that, just knowing the way that God has been at work in bringing the world to be. But there's a second group that Brueggemann speaks about which describe a time of disorientation, the way in which all of the ways that the world has been knit together is fragmented and falls apart. These are songs that are often sung, sometimes I would say in minor key, but they're song, sung in sadness and disarray, this unhappiness with how things have worked out, this recognition that the joy and the beauty of the, the knit world has been broken apart and that what I have done made that happen. They are mournful as they describe the days of lament. Lament is a big t theme in these Psalms. Personal wrongdoing, things that I have done of those days when the people of God were disobedient to God's laws. So finally, Brueggemann comes up with a third. It has to, if there's orientation and disorientation, the third is quite natural to understand, called reorientation. This is the third group of psalms dedicated to the time of reorientation. These are the songs of surprise. No one is more surprised than I am that the world that I have fractured comes back together in forgiveness. There's a celebration of the restoration God has brought to the unfaithfulness of the man or the woman of God. These are hymns and songs of thanksgiving we sing them in great joy that God would take the broken world and would heal it up. And God would take my broken world and restore me. This is what God does that we can't do for ourselves. These are the Psalms that, that reorient us to the whole world. These are the days of reorientation when David the psalmist can see what a mess he has made of himself in Psalm 32 and how he has gone about confessing. This is the really uh, difficult part because it, it rubs up against our, not only our shame, but our pride. Can I come to the point of recognizing this is what I have done with my world and my relationship with God? After his contrition has been offered to his utter surprise, he discovers he has been granted a reprieve through forgiveness. This is the thing that we least expect. We have a hard time realizing that God is in the work, in the business of reorienting us. In that great and boundless joy, he can say, thou art my hiding place. Thou dost preserve me from trouble. Thou dost surround me with glad songs of deliverance. David the psalmist is utterly thankful to God for this. In this season of Lent, our worship focuses on the interior world. Uh, I said in the first service what it is is about worshiping with the left side of our brain rather than our very logical driven, you know, the kind of brain that needs, that explains things.
the left side of the brain is where we live and where we experience life. And recognizing the Psalms are in their essence ancient poetry. Maybe they're hymn, hymn texts, but they're at least poetry. And what we've done in this series, so what we will be doing, is to take the ancient poets thoughts and poetry and matching it up with something from the current world, the present world, a modern poet, to carry on a conversation together, these two, something that we can listen in on. So today I'm reading a, a poem by John Fox, When Someone Deeply Listens to You. When someone deeply listens to you, it's like holding out a dented cup you've had since childhood and watching it fill up with cold, fresh water. While it balances on the top of the brim, you are understood. When it overflows and touches your skin, you are loved. When someone deeply listens to you, the room where you stay starts a new life. And the place where you wrote your first poem begins to glow in your mind's eye. It is as if gold has been discovered. When someone deeply listens to you, your bare feet are on the earth. And a beloved land that seemed distant is now at home within you. The purpose of a Lenten discipline, and when we think about Lent, the obvious thing is that it is discipline. It is the way that we live that is being uh, looked at. This is a self-examination time in the season of Lent that guides us to consider greater conformity to the mind and vision of God, to adopt a more effective way of living, a more effective ministry in the world. In the theme of the shadows of Lent, we are invited into a dialogue to explore our inner being. Help us, O oh God, as we seek our reorientation in you and in partnership with you. Amen.